Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is June 1st, 2022. My name is Braden Dennis, always joined by the great Simon Belanger. I can't believe it's already June. Uh, that is that is wild. Simone, I just put on so many kilometers. I was visiting the wonderful folks in Alberta, Canada. I, uh, I was all over the place, and uh, the Rocky Mountains are looking as good as ever, and it was a wonderful time, but I'm good to be back and recording the podcast here with you today, buddy. Yeah, glad to have you back. Uh, I've been to Alberta before, especially Calgary and the area surrounding Canmore and Banff, so I know it's uh, it's really nice out there. It is pretty, and uh, if you ever get a chance to do the drive from Jasper to Banff, or vice versa in that direction, the Icefields Parkway is uh, one of the most beautiful drives in the world, so uh, it was it was wonderful. Um, it is June 1st, which means that our portfolio updates on the Patreon were posted as of this morning, so go ahead and check that out. Uh, that is jointci.com to see myself and Simone's personal portfolio updates. We have been active, dude. Uh, we have been really taking advantage of, of this drawdown, of course. With every market draw, drawdown, it can always get worse. But you and I both have the, the philosophy of this is the time to be adding more aggressively. Like I, I, you know, I, I look for every, every dollar I can find in every couch cushion when markets are uh, unfavorable because in the long term, it's a good time to buy businesses. All right, uh, you get a shout out as well for, for joining. So let's do it here. We got Joe Nell, Stephen, Sean Bodley, Tyson Jasper, Johnny Tran, Kyle, Justin Carter, Rachel Montgomery, Brittany Jewell, Fong, and Ing. Uh, we appreciate you guys very much. And there are more on this list. So if you subscribe recently, we'll get you on there. Don't worry. Um, I'll kick it off here with a Canadian name. Uh, we'll go back and forth here. You got uh, you got Costco coming up. We got uh, some news on the Bank of Canada just raised uh, rates, so more tightening coming, and uh, you'll round out with some bank earnings later. So good mix of U.S. and Canadian names today, but uh, I just want to talk about WSP, ticker WSP. It's only listed on the TSX. Another gigantic acquisition for this engineering firm. They just recently carved out Woods Environmental and Infrastructure Business for $1.81 billion. This adds $830 million in revs. They paid 14.6 times EBITDA. So I think a fair price. The market seems to think so as well, with the stock being up 8% today. Um, so Simon, they, they bought Golder last year, and I've been talking about that quite a bit. And uh, Wood is another huge engineering firm, and their environmental division is obviously quite large. WSP is a powerhouse in this environmental services, environmental engineering uh, segment now. And I do have an environmental engineering degree, as you know. These two two gigantic firms they acquired, um, literally everyone I went to school with now works at WSP (laughs) by the time this deal closes. Um, they will have 20,000 employees in the environmental and infrastructure services segment makes up about one third of their revenue. Um, and so, yeah, that just, that news just came off the press this morning. 
huge acquisition. Again, another almost $2 billion deal. So uh, they are rolling up large firms, small firms, medium firms. And uh, you know how I feel about rolling up services. It, it, when they say they're synergies, I actually believe it. Um, whereas a lot of businesses that roll up and, and say they have synergies, I, I'm more hesitant to believe it than not. But uh, with, with professional services, it actually works really well. Yeah, yeah. I think some companies are just also better than others at rolling up companies, whether it's services or, you know, goods and services. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, I you know this one better than I, than I do, but it sounds like they've done a really good job at integrating them in the past. Yeah, this has just been a really undercovered compounder. And so if you're a Canadian, um, it's on the TSX and it's only on the TSX. There's a couple of gems out there in this scenario, and, and I believe that this is one of them. Yeah, now uh, we'll go on to Costco earnings, like you mentioned. I was really interesting about this one because like we uh, talked about uh, recently retailers and how there may be some value to uncover there. Um, we didn't know how Costco would fare because it's been a pretty tough earnings season for big box retailers. I'm thinking Walmart and Target specifically, but there are other ones that are facing some headwinds here. Net sales increased 16.3% to $51.6 billion. Total revenue was up 14% to $52.6 billion. Keep in mind here, total revenue includes membership fees. U.S. and Canada saw sales up 16.6% and 15.2% respectively. Other international was up 5.7%. And just a note here, U.S. and Canada are their two biggest countries per location. So that's why they do single those out. E-commerce sales were up 7.4%, which is really solid considering they had a lot of pull-forward growth like any other retailer. Membership fees increased 9.2% to $984 million. This is great to see, especially... Uh, It just tells you that they are able to get more of those fees and they have not uh, increased their fees just yet. And I'll talk about that a bit later here. Net income was up 11%. Gross margins were down a bit more than 100 basis point to 11.9%. Obviously not great, but kind of in line with some of the other retailers here. Costco opened one new location during the quarter and relocated two other location. If all goes as planned, they should have 27 new stores for the year, which would include three relocations. Overall, I think it was a pretty, I mean, I think it was an okay quarter for Costco. Uh, it was clearly better than Walmart and Target, for example. Uh, the two main takeaways for me is that margins have contracted pretty significantly. This is obviously not great, but something we saw with the other retailers, so not overly surprising. The second takeaway is that people seem to be turning to Costco to try and get more for their money. Um, that's not surprising either because people are feeling inflation and it was clear with their total sell sales being up mid double digits and membership fees being up almost 10% uh, that this is, seems where people in general are going to get more for their money. Now, I'm sure 
the question on your mind, and we've talked about this before, is Costco typically increases its fees every five to six years. And we did mention that when we talked about pricing power, I think a couple months ago when we did a segment on that. And their management is well aware. And on the conference call, they tackled the uh, fee increase question pretty, pretty quickly. So I'm just I'll be quoting here what they said. I want to take just a minute and address the question that we've been getting a lot recently regarding the timing of potential membership fee increases. Historically, we've raised fees every five to six years with the last three increases coming on average at about five and a half year time frame and our last increase coming in June of 2017. As we approach the five and a half year mark, there will be more discussion with the executive team obviously on that subject. So clearly it is top of mind for them. They've been getting the questions. So it is something they're examining. We talked about it before. I had looked at the renewal rate the year after increases and it barely budged for Costco. So it is definitely a lever that they will be able to pull this year. Well, I, I'm assuming they will pull it this year. I think they will pull it this year. And the fact that they even said, you know, there's going to be more discussions. I've noticed from the calls, they're pretty black and white on what they won't do. What Costco, Costco's, but that's kind of like their culture. It's like, we will not increase the price of the the hot dog. Like as just an example, like the cherry pick one. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that this is going to be coming um, sooner rather than later in the next couple quarters. And I mean, it's just a lever that they can keep pulling. I mean, the membership fees being like that segment being up almost 10%. Like think about how good that is without even flexing that pricing power that they're able to do. And so, I mean, it's an expensive stock for a reason, best in class type retailer. And, um, you know, no quarterly report really, especially on the top line, should ever really come as a surprise for Costco because they released it every single month. So if you're if you're not um, familiar with that, then you can go on Costco, Costco's investor relations website and they post their sales by geography every single month, not just every quarter. And so there really shouldn't be that many surprises from investors. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. All right, uh, let's talk about Autodesk ticker ADSK, they just released their 2023 Q1. So again, a bit of a weird fiscal schedule. Um, though, For those who are not familiar with Autodesk, they are the CAD computer-aided design software, their main flagship prod- products being AutoCAD and Revit. So if you are an architect or in engineering, you are well familiar with their products. Um, so total revenue for the quarter was up 18%. Again, they're so consistently in that high double digits, you know, mid twenties range. So this this is this is in that range. Free cash flow is four hundred and forty two million dollars for the quarter. So quite a bit of cash gushing out. Um, I do believe they have that uh, two billion in free cash flow a year target for twenty twenty three. That that's the target that they set out. Like in, if I recall, Andrew, the CEO, put that out in like twenty eighteen. Um, don't quote me on that, but that's the number. That's the 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 free cash flow North Star they've been guiding at for their five-year uh, target to 2023. And uh, if you do some quick math, they are really close. 
um, given 442 million in free cash flow. So that's up 33.5% year over year. Uh, total billings was up 16%. Again, that's that's a very important number. It's very similar to their their total top line. Okay, so by segment, this is where things get interesting, right? That AEC, that core market, that and uh, architecture, engineering, construction segment, that was up 17%. AutoCAD, they specifically call out AutoCAD because it's such a big product for them, up 21%. Manufacturing, 14%, and media, 24%. There's another category called other, but it's very small. Um. I do want to see that manufacturing segment really come alive. I mean, I think there's so much opportunity there in 3D modeling. Um, and and uh, I want to see it a little bit higher than 14% personally, especially on, you know, what the opportunity is. I think it's probably one of the biggest opportunities out there. But look at the AutoCAD segment, dude. Like, it's amazing. Is this the most sticky software, dare I say, in history? And I mean that, like it's Hall of Fame numbers, durability here, like AutoCAD and Microsoft Excel, put them in the uh, the Hall of Fame of sticky software. AutoCAD came out in 1982, and they're still growing sales in the segment at 21% year over year. Uh, really impressive. Um, now, I, I pulled up a chart here from Stratosphere, which shows... Uh, stock-based compensation year-over-year, and uh, net share repurchases. So a lot of these tech companies, they get a lot of bad rep lately for stock-based compensation, and Autodesk does a lot of stock-based compensation. But what we wanted to highlight here is that they actually net repurchase a lot more shares than they issue. So shares outstanding does trickle down year-over-year, which is very rare for these types of companies. Um, And so again, Many years, it's kind of net-net share repurchases and stock-based compensation. But as of late, at, when their stock is trading down, you see they you can see on this this visual here, Simone, the buyback machine has really been ramping up, uh, especially last year and in the last trailing twelve months. Um, my final comment here with Autodesk, is, and, and full disclosure, I do own shares. You can see my portfolio at, at jointtci.com. Um, my final comment here is, is to the Autodesk management team. It is not too late to go back to your old logo. Okay. Like you can just come out and say, Hey, okay. Our new lore, our new logo, it's boring. This new logo sucks. The old one is great. Um, and that I personally, Braden, am available for consulting deals on branding. Uh, so feel free to hit me up. Uh, that's my only, uh, last comment here on Autodesk. Yeah, yeah, I just had a look. I mean, it's it's all right. It's nothing great. Uh, it's boring. Yeah. It's, I like the old one. It had a nice little gradient. Uh It was modern. It wasn't like it wasn't like an update for me. At least they didn't mess up the name. I find sometimes they'll redo logos and they mess up the name. Like they'll change the name, the whole branding at the same time, the name as well doesn't make sense. At least uh, they uh, okay. only did half of that. Yeah, they only only yeah, only 50% of that. <laughs> well, now uh, some news again, some Twitter news because the saga continues. There was a proposed class action lawsuit against Elon Musk and Twitter that was filed last week by sh- uh, Twitter shareholders. The lawsuit alleges that Musk violated corporate laws in several ways. 
which is not surprising, I'll be very honest. <laughs> <laughs> they alleged that he benefited from not disclosing in the required time frame by the SEC that he amassed more than 5% stake in Twitter, that he benefited from not immediately mentioning the plans to come board member in April, that he purchased shares based on private discussion with Twitter executives, which they allege would qualify as insider information. And the last thing they allege is that he's trying to place doubt on the acquisition by saying there are more bots than Twitter had estimated in order to try and negotiate a better acquisition price. This last one here, it's something I had texted you about. I don't know if you remember. I'm like, I... A couple of weeks ago, I said, oh, I feel like Musk might be trying to play an angle to get a better deal yeah. on Twitter here. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, there's this like whole bot thing and like he won't shut up about it. Um, there's a, there's a, that first thing that comes to mind is that he's trying to just completely back out of it. Um, that's what or get a better price. I, I think just completely back out personally. <laughs> like, I mean... I don't know. It's just so there are some things that he has done that definitely don't make a lot of sense. And could this this class action lawsuit? I mean, they could definitely make a really good case that some things were done quite illegally. Um, the, the thing is, is like the way he carries himself now. Um, and, and this is not a this is not a uh, detractor from anything he's done. OK, he's. You know, he, I, I do believe he is a net, net positive for humanity. Even, you know, his wealth is just ridiculous. Um, but the things he's working on are really important. Um, he's carrying himself in this, like, I don't give a shit attitude constantly now. And yeah. uh, and it, it's really kind of getting a bit too much, I think. And I, I do actually think that he's trying to back out of the deal because the financing is a lot different when Tesla trades, you know, 50% lower <laughs> in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually would disagree with you. I don't think he's trying to back out of the deal. I think he was trying to get an angle to get it at a better price personally, because I think it's part of when Musk, one thing that seems to be clear is when he has a vision for something, he does not back down. And I think he does have a vision for Twitter to being more open source, uh, whether, you know, he's the right person to accomplish that. That's a complete other discussion. Um, right. And obviously he could decide on a whim to completely change things. But it sounds like he has uh, a really a desire to make Twitter a more open platform. And he's really focused on that, whether, like I said, whether it goes through or not, I'm not sure. But it feels like, a passion project for him and uh that's why i think it'll still go through uh in terms of the lawsuit it'll be interesting whether that uh that goes actually forward into courts yeah yeah it's not the last time we'll we'll cover this story i think over the next couple months and uh so you're taking the angle he wants a lower price i think he wants out entirely but again this is my like uneducated guess on the whole thing i haven't been following very very closely uh quick message here quick uh quick update meta platforms inc aka facebook will officially change their ticker on june 9th so in a week and a half you will uh be searching up meta meta to find their public security 
Very interesting. All right, we got a uh, something hot off the pref- press here from the Fed, uh, the Bank of Canada. What was the news here? Yeah, so the uh, BOC uh, announced that they were raising their benchmark interest rate by another 50 basis points. So now that will bring it to 1.5%. They mentioned uh, in their statement that the global economy continues to face headwinds due to Obviously, supply chain constraints, the war in Ukraine and Chinese lockdown that we've seen uh, in the past couple months. They also mentioned that housing activity is moderating. And it also sounds, of course, to no surprise that they are trying to get a handle on inflation and also that inflation is much higher than they had anticipated. So they're really trying to get a handle on that. So I think we should expect some more uh, increases this year. Most likely 50 basis point. That's what I've been seeing is people are banking it on at least a couple other uh, increasing increases of 50 basis point this year. Tightening, tightening, tightening. Uh, this is This is what we are coming to expect here. I mean, the, uh, oh God, it's such a tough situation. These people, this is not a job I want. Is there a salary you could possibly pay me to have to do this job? Probably probably not. I I would not want to do it either because, yeah, like... I can't, it was Paul Volcker, right, that did it in the States in the 1980s, 70s and 80s to get uh, lit on inflation. And I remember reading that, you know, he was steadfast at getting inflation down, but he was not, he's not stupid. He was like, he did realize that it was putting people in very difficult situation and he caused a recession essentially by doing so. But in his view, the high inflation was worse than, um, you know, slowing down right. the economy. And I think governors of central banks, obviously Bank of Canada included, are really faced with a, a hard choice here because at some point, you know, if they're really steadfast on getting inflation down, you almost have to keep raising interest rates until it does go down. And when you do that, the adverse effect is that, you know, variable interest on credit cards, on unsecured loans, on things like... Uh, you know, a, a line of credit, these things go up and people who have a lot of debt gets really severely impacted and businesses tend to invest less, hire less. And then you have this kind of cycle that starts happening. Yeah. Well, you have this like dynamic of short-term credit cycles, long-term credit cycles. Um, and the way I view it, right, is it's like a series of short-term thinking leads to really hard decisions having to be made eventually. Eventually, the tide comes in. Yeah. Eventually, the tide comes in, and you see who's wearing pants. <laughs> whatever, whatever's been going on, no one's been wearing any pants. All right, uh, Salesforce, uh, ticker CRM, they, their stock jumped this morning more than 10% on their quarterly report that they reported uh, last evening at the close. Revenue is up 24%, $3.6 billion in operating cash flow, which is up 14%. Uh, the main seg- segments for the business all did quite well on this report, and uh, guidance lifted on almost all of them, so things are good. Core sales, uh, you know, the sales platform revenue is up 18%, service up 17%, platform and other was up 55%. 
This includes Slack. So this is a, actually a quite a bright spot. 344 million um, of Slack subscriptions for the quarter. Um, so that's pretty solid. Given like what the purchase price is, it seems quite, quite low. But again, like this is sticky enterprise software. For those who are not familiar with Slack, it's like a messaging communication platform for work teams. It's similar to Microsoft Teams if yeah. you use that. Um, I use it for the Stratosphere team. This is how we communicate day to day. If you are running a business and still using email to communicate internally to each other, do yourself a favor. <laughs> Download Slack. It's free. And you know what? I can actually, Simone, we talked about this. And we know who, I know who I'm thinking of. You probably are going to know who oh, you're I thinking know. of. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. So, someone we work with. Let's just say Someone that. we work with. It is obvious to me when I communicate with a bit, this is, this is not like some advertisement for Slack, although it sounds like it right now. Um, it, you could use Microsoft Teams, yeah, whatever Teams it is. is some good in, too. Yeah. Internal communication tool, okay? It is very obvious to me when a business doesn't use an internal communication tool because emailing back and forth is just not a good way to go. If you want to email externally, sure, go ahead. But uh, internal communication seems ridiculous. The marketing segment was up 22% and data was up 15%. Now, uh, for Salesforce, like this, the business, the stock, I don't know it well enough to have any particularly hot takes here. It looks like the quarter was solid. What I do know is that they're turning a lot into like a grow by acquisition strategy, now the software is extremely sticky for the most part, but there have there's been so much new competition. This is like CRM software all over the place, uh, and specialty CRM software. This is what I think is like a potentially big risk for the business. Again, if you're a shareholder, you probably know more than me. But if you don't run a home renovation business, for instance, there are CRM specifically for your use case. Um, and every single vertical, like I just mentioned, like if you're home renos, whether you, you know, you're a plumber, uh, you're a software company, whatever it is, there are specific CRM platforms being built all over the place to address those specific needs. Um, and so CRM, you know, CRM stock, that's the ticker, uh, Salesforce, is still the name in town for a sales CRM. And they're making good strides in enterprise solutions to tackle Microsoft, but they got a long way to go. For me, the problem is the stock-based compensation. The share count has essentially doubled over the past 10 years. Now, if you look at like EBITDA per, per share, revenue per share, it has well outpaced that, that, that dilution. So that's, that's great. You you'd need that. But um, I just look at companies that have, have done similar growth stories without all of the uh, SBC. And that's just really hard for me to get around. And and that's been the story for me for, you know, five plus years every time I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to mention here, I know you mentioned the term CRM a lot for those who are not familiar with it is just customer relation, uh, relationship management. So it's That's just, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. So if some of you may not be necessarily in a kind of office environment, uh, that's just what it means. Yeah. Yeah. And like, how do I, what's the easiest way to uh, explain that? Like, for instance, if you had, um, if you had like a huge spreadsheet of all your customers 
but you wanted something smarter. Like if you, if you message them, like it, it documents that. And like, you know, there's like follow-up sequences you can pitch them on. Like if they don't respond, then send them this email. If they do respond, do this, right? It's like basically a tool for your sales team to manage hundreds or if not thousands of customers and stay on top of that list. Because if you're just doing that in a spreadsheet, it gets com- completely unwieldy. Um, all right. Uh, where are we here? Yeah. Okay. We, banks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The two biggest Canadian banks in reverse order. Uh, so the okay, first one yeah. is uh, TD Bank. They had their earnings. Obviously, most of the banks reported last week. Uh, we won't do all of them. I decided to do TD and Royal Bank, the two largest. Revenues were up 10% to $11.3 billion for TD. They went from negative to positive in credit loss recovery. Net income was up 3% to $3.8 billion. Net income for their Canadian retail business was $2.24 billion. It still represents the majority of their profits. I wanted to highlight that, um, even though TD is pretty well diversified with their U.S. operation. It's still primarily Canada that drives those profits. Net interest margins was up one basis point for the Canadian uh, retail business. This will be really interesting metric to keep an eye on for just banks in general. Typically, you'll see interest the banks pay raise at a slower pace than what they are lending out, which should increase their net interest margin in a rising rate environment. So these increases we're seeing from the Bank of Canada should be a tailwind for these big banks. Net income was $1.4 billion for their U.S. retail operation, up 3% year over year. Earning per share was up 4% to $2.07. Return on equity was down 30 basis point to 16.4%. And deposits were up 5.8% to $1.18 billion. They kept their dividend unchanged to $0.89 cents per share uh, every quarter. The deposits kind of surprised me um, that people are saving even more despite... Uh, probably not getting much return even uh, with <laughs> rising interest rates. So that one actually surprised me a bit, but good news for TD there. Yeah, I mean, you look at what the banks have accomplished over the past 10 years in that in the environment. <laughs> and I thought, to, I, like, I got to be honest, I thought over the past two years, how on earth are these these companies that are like so entrenched into the way they work gonna pivot to like the new way of work? And you know, profits at all time highs. Seems things seem to be working. And I know they're getting their people back in the office because they're saying like that's where we work best. And I'm not surprised by that at all that they're forcing everyone to come back. If I was the CEO of RBC, I'd probably do the same thing. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy given the environment, and now now rates are going up. I mean, bank shareholders keep winning, man. Bank share Canadian bank shareholders just keep collecting W's for how many decades now? Quite some time. So I'm sure a, a lot of our <laughs> listeners are, are happy with their bank holdings because I know they're very popular in Canada. Um, definitely, people uh, love our banks, our Canadian banks, and for good reason. Now. Royal Bank earnings revenues were down 3.4% to 11.2 billion. Net income was up 6% to 4.25 billion. 
Earnings per share was $2.96, well, $2.96, up 7%. Return on equity was down 100 basis point to 18.4%, which seems to be, you know, a little reoccurring here. Uh, the return on equity going down a little bit, and it is a, a very important metrics uh, for banks to keep an eye on if you're, you are interested in them. Provisions for credit loss was slightly lower than last year. Again, same STD here. Personal and commercial banking segments was the shining star with net income up 17% to $2.23 billion. Net income related to their wealth management and insurance segments were up 10% for each of those segments. Net income for investor and treasury services were flat. And then the big loser here, net income for their capital markets was by far their worst performing segment. It was down 26% to $795 million. They attributed this to lower fixed income and equity trading revenue in the U.S. I mean, considering the markets, are you surprised? I'm not. That's usually no. uh, how it goes when we're in a bull market that typically will do well. We're, when we're in the opposite, in a bear market, this is usually what happens. This is big business for them. Um, this is really big business. Their capital markets business for for RBC, and uh, it's like in line with how far down the Nasdaq is. So, <laughs> I mean, I take that for what you will. I mean, when you look at both of these companies, right? Like, what's the market cap on uh, World Bank right now? Let me see. I don't know, like one forty, something like that. Oh my god. <laughs> Higher. Oh wow. Cold. Okay. Hi. <laughs> that must be T D then. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 188 billion. Um, and it's on like a ten percent drawdown from in January. Well, I was so thinking US it? dollars. No, just oh, kidding. You're in no, USD. no, no. I mean I was actually thinking <laughs> Canadian dollars, but okay. uh, I was pretty I close been, in US. If you said that, yeah. I would have been like, Oh, you're spot on. You nailed it. Um Okay, yeah. So, hundred, dude. Any company like th there's the Royal Bank. Do you know what the Royal Bank curse is? Do you know what the Royal Bank stock no, curse is? I don't know. Okay, so it's like this curse that any stock that has a higher market cap of RBC on the TSX is do, is going to is going to have some rough times ahead. It's like there's <laughs> this long list of of stocks that have uh, have passed it. Uh, like Nortel and now Shopify destruction on their on their stock after they uh, clear and away past RBC and market cap. Um, of course, this means absolutely nothing, but it's fun to talk about. Um, is that it for banks? I think that yeah, good. that's it for banks. Yeah. Okay. All right, another Canadian name here, CAE. All right, so also ticker CAE. I believe it's dual listed. I'm like ninety nine percent sure. So. Yeah, yeah, dual listed. Um, so when I say dual listed, for those who are not familiar, many of you will, but if not, that just means that it is listed both on the Toronto Stock Exchange and the NYSE or some other, when I say that, I just mean like some US exchange, like the NYSE or the NASDAQ. All right. Uh, CAE. So I'm going to a little, little definition here. Good old Wikipedia. Thank you for the copy and paste. CAE, formerly Canadian Aviation Electronics is a Canadian manufacturer of simulation technologies, modeling technologies, and training services for airlines, aircraft manufacturers, and defense customers. Um, and uh, tr translation here, 
TCI Podcast Brain Translation. They sell flight simulators and they sell flight training to airlines and pilot training facilities primarily. Um, now, this business is now in high demand for air travel and the uh, the drain. There's a real need for pilots. I don't know if you've been hearing about that. There's a real need for pilots. And it was a problem that was, you know, prevalent in 2019 and, you know, at the end there. And then it was all of a sudden, I was like, okay, we don't need any pilots. <laughs> we don't need any anymore. Uh, but now that that's, we're back. Um, we need pilots. And the CAE will probably continue to benefit for that. Uh, revenue was up 7%. And if you back out the revenue they had from ventilators, which is very interesting, what revenue from ventilators, they actually saw revenues up 25% this quarter on their core business. So that's the important number for me to track, which is like X ventilators um, up 25%. Earnings per share ballooned up to 143% up. Uh, the, the two numbers that I think are worth following here our order intake and total backlog. Order intake was up 42% and total backlog was 17%. So there, I was doing, I was looking at this. I'm like, okay, this looks good. What is this? Like, how does this relate to 2019? This is definitely one of those businesses I want to check. What was life like for this company before? And um, so since this report was actually their full year, 2022, like fiscal, uh, that revenue number comes in at $3.37 billion. In 2019, it was almost identical at $3.3 billion. So it was actually an all-time high in sales for this business on their, on their latest uh, quarter for the, for the full year. Um, so it has really made a nice recovery, and demand forward looks good. Like with this order intake, you, know, you could see their, their fiscal 23 being even better. Um, so things look good um, for this company, and they've been quite resilient. I, I got to give them props for you know, everything they've done over the last two years to maintain their business. Really, really impressive execution. Yeah, that's funny. Their uh, ventilator, I didn't know that they produced that. It's almost like the uh, Etsy and masks, right? When yeah, excluding exactly. Excluding masks, this was our growth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the X mask growth for Etsy. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned order intake and backlog. So those are really useful numbers, especially looking uh, not only CAE, but also if you're interested in investing in a Boeing or Airbus, those are really important numbers because, you know, airlines will put in these orders and it won't be filled until several years down the line. So it's always an important metric to look for uh, for those as well. It's like ASML as well. We're talking about equipment that you can't just put in an order and you know you'll you'll get it on your doorstep by uh tomorrow morning <laughs> amazon prime right like this is this is a completely different ball game so uh yeah there's always that delay so the order intake and the backlog same with the same with the services business right like same thing you want to track those because that's uh those are going to come out in the future yeah now our last name the charlie munger special alibaba earnings is he still, uh, 
Did he move any of the shit? I think he did move to... some. Yeah, I'm not sure. I okay. think he moved some, but I think he might still have some. Uh, anyways, okay. uh, some I'm going to look it up while you're yeah, talking. Yeah, feel free to correct us on that. Uh, revenues were up 9% to $32.1 billion. This is USD because they do provide both. Annual active consumers reach $1.31 billion on a trailing 12-month basis. That was up $28 million. Um, over the trailing 12 months that ended on December 31st, 2021. Net loss of $2.9 billion, which was more than double that of last year. GMV had a low single-digit decline. So not great from a GMV perspective, but overall Alibaba said that they face headwinds mainly due to disruptions in supply chain and logistics as well as demand softening. This is definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on. It'll be interesting to see if their GMV returns a bit more to normal once the Chinese lockdowns are done with. I think they're starting to ease them from what I've seen, but they're still not completely over. And China has still been preaching a zero COVID type of strategy. So it'll be very interested if the Chinese government kind of continues that you know, several months, if not years down the line. This is definitely just another wild card for Chinese companies. Um, and of course, coming from the Chinese government, you don't know what will happen on a regular regulatory basis, but there is, you know, there there is definitely some opportunities, I think, that there because they are definitely trading at lower multiples than their American counterparts. No matter what metric you look at, I'd be it's hard you'd be hard pressed to find the conclusion that Alibaba stock is not extremely cheap. Yeah. Right? Like you'd be you'd be really hard pressed. But again, it's it's the wild card that we've talked about so many times, which is, you know, that that this wild card of who knows what the the regulatory environment looks like there. And investors have gotten absolutely crushed. And they've uh, tried to buy more as a value stock and got crushed even more. Uh, and now shares are almost down 70% from their high in uh, October of 2020. It's been, yeah. uh, it's been ugly since. I just looked it up on uh, Charlie Munger's 13F. Uh, he reduced his position by exactly 50% okay. in the latest quarter. Yeah, so he still has some. And I mean, the Chinese government has softened its tone a bit more in recent months so there is some light there uh whether you know it's always a wild card though they may be softening it in you know for the next year or two who knows and then another crackdown will happen like you never know right it's just i'm you know maybe going forward they will be much easier on these companies as long as they play ball with the chinese government and you know Jack Ma doesn't openly uh, criticize them. I think that was probably a big mistake on his part uh, with uh, hindsight 2020. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree criticizing the Chinese government. I'm just saying in his position, it probably wasn't the, the best move to do to do that. And, you know, not I mean, necessarily the man went missing. To, yeah. The man went missing after. You, I'll let you guys put the pieces together there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> uh, just out of curiosity here. Uh, yeah, so almost just minus the fifteen percent uh, of Charlie Munger's portfolio in Alibaba, which used to be you know close to thirty percent after he reduced it. It's basically Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Is it like a couple hundred million dollars? 
Oh, Holy smokes. Uh, that is that is funny. Okay, thanks for listening, friends. We really appreciate you. It is June 1st, so you can go to jointci.com and get uh, get our, uh, our personal holdings updates. And it really, at the end of the day, it's a way for you to support the show. Simone, like, I was thinking about this, like, weird things I think about when I'm on, when I was on a hike this past week in Alberta. I was thinking, like, how much money could we have gotten from doing shady pump and dumps that that have been offered to us through the through the past couple of years? Like significant amounts of money. Like these are not just like a few bucks uh, to do these pump and dumps. Like these these companies are well incentivized to get retail investors caught holding the bag of some crappy co. Yeah, there, now, there's we would, tons we would of never on do YouTube. That. Yeah, if you look, you don't have to search very long on YouTube where you'll see some YouTubers that have a decent following and that's what they do. Yeah. And they're doing paid promotion for stock, uh, like write-ups or uh, or videos being like, yeah, this TSX Venture stock is the next big thing. Um, you see a lot with like junior miners and stuff. And we would never, ever, ever do something that silly because it's it, it literally makes me feel sick. And so, uh, so come come the good way for you guys to support our work is at jointci.com. So that's uh, that's my two cents there. Yeah, and um, if I, you, just to add on ahead. what you're saying too is right now uh, clearly you know our portfolios are down the last month. So I know a lot of people are feeling. You know, the, it's not fun to see your portfolio sometimes being down, uh, you know, high single digits, double digits on just a monthly basis. So, you know, sometimes it helps just to see that uh, you're not alone in that situation. And what Braden and I do when that happens, oftentimes we uh, just add more because we find there's some really good opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Like I was looking at it today. I was like, I think my portfolio year to date's 20% plus down, right? And then I looked at it, I was like, yeah, well, it's actually in line or maybe even a little better than the NASDAQ. So if you're holding U.S. stocks, like, you're not, don't feel bad if you're getting absolutely crushed. Like, the, it's a market drawdown. Like, this happens. It happens now. It's going to happen again. If you look at where we are today from the bottom of March 2020 on the NASDAQ, even after being down 27% on this drawdown, you're up 80% today if you if you bought in March of 2020 on the NASDAQ. And so like if you look at that, these corrections are completely normal. Because if someone asked me in March of 2020 if I would take an 80% return uh, up until June 1st of 2022, I would say that is a fantastic return in the stock market. A wonderful return. Um, and so... There's some recency bias at play, and we're going to talk about that actually on our recording yeah. tomorrow, Simon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's really important. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's easy, and I think it's just important to put things into context. That's one of the things we like to do, and that's one of the things that's really important to me. It just puts some perspective, context around things, and oftentimes that just puts things uh, makes a bit more sense and makes you feel better about your your investments and decisions too. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I'm about to go hop on the subway downtown Toronto and uh, go to some event. Hopefully, hopefully free beers. I'm hoping for some free beers, Simone. <laughs> um, that will be wonderful. And uh, we'll catch you in a few, ga- a few days. Thanks, guys. See you soon.
The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.